Hello, it's Thursday the 4th of November. This is the Andrew Pearce Show and it's coming as ever from the Daily Mail News. And coming up... Should wet wipes be banned in the UK? One Labour MP is calling for all wet wipes to be stopped for sale if they contain any plastic. The Bank of England has decreed on interest rates. You'll be relieved to know they're not going up, but perhaps not so pleased if you're a saver. The number of migrants crossing the channel keeps going up another 456 yesterday in 15 small crafts. But first, the huge backlash and then the back down by the government over its decision to try to block a punishment for the former cabinet minister, Owen Paterson, like the prime minister, a fellow Brexiteer. So Boris Johnson remarkably has U-turned within 24 hours on his decision to block punishment for his ally, the former cabinet minister, Owen Paterson. That's after a huge outcry across the House, but especially on his own Conservative benches. Commons leader Jacob Rees-Mogg announced the government had dropped plans for a retrospective overhaul of Slee's rules after the backlash at what was regarded as a politically motivated decision. I'm joined now by the Conservative MP for Wimbledon, Stephen Hammond, who abstained in that vote yesterday. Mr Hammond, um, that was a huge revolt. More than 100 MPs either voted against, abstained or were given leave of absence. They did not support what was effectively seen as an attempt to rip up the current rules on how complaints are investigated and therefore in the process effectively suspend the suspension of Owen Paterson. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge rebellion, but I think the surprising thing was that they chose to go ahead with it. I think there were a number of people expressing real surprise on Tuesday to the Whip's office that this amendment was being brought forward, that if you wanted to talk about the rights and wrongs of Owen's case, that was there was a way to do it. If you wanted to talk about the need for reform, which a number of people think is right as well. Both of those were sensible things to do, but you should not have conflated the two together. And it looked it looked appalling, it looked sleazy, and it was simply wrong. Um, the How do you think, I mean, what's gone wrong with the intelligence operation on the Conservative benches? There is a system in place, they're called the whips, uh, I'm saying this for the benefit of our listeners, who take the temperature on the back benches, take the temperature among party members in the country. It was pretty obvious there was a great sense of discomfort over the idea, it seemed, that the rules were being changed. Okay, a lot of MPs don't like the current system, but they were being changed to benefit one man, a former Conservative Cabinet Minister. Uh, Andrew, I'm I am as staggered as you are. I mean, there is normally a system that works well. I mean, I I got contacted by my whip and I told him pretty much what I've just told you. And uh, on Tuesday night, I know that others did as well. I spoke to one of the more senior members of the whip's office as well to register this quiet. I can only assume that they, the whips took a view, either there weren't as many people as me actually saying it, but just feeling upset, or that they took a view that uh, the, the reform needed to be progressed. I, I have to say, I think it's quite extraordinary, given the sort of uh, feeling of colleagues and you know, talking to even some who voted with the government yesterday because they're either junior, junior members of the government or uh, new members here who hadn't realised that sometimes you can vote against three-line whips if you tell the whips beforehand. But really, uh, very upset as well. So I, there was a bit of a failure of, and a bit of a, a bit of a tin ear on this particular one. The decision as well to make this 
a three-line whip. In other words, you must support it. If you don't support it, we saw one parliamentary private secretary, effectively the lowest rung of the ministerial ladder, she was working for Michael Gove, was fired because she abstained, refused to vote it. She's now been given her job back, which just adds to the sense of total unmitigated chaos and confusion at the heart of the government. It's difficult to disagree with you, much as a, as a loyal Conservative I would like to do so. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. And I think also one of the things that probably annoyed a lot of people was that these matters, are, are, as your listeners may or may not know, are usually called house business. They're not yes. usually whipped. Yeah. This is a matter of... Nothing to do with the government. Nothing to do with the government, particularly over a standards report where... You know, we're acting as judge on our colleague or we're acting as sanction or appeal court or whatever on our on our colleague. That should not be a member for that should not be a matter for the government. And again, that's one of the reasons why people like me were saying to them, you should not be confusing the two issues. There should have been a separate vote on that. And then if you wanted to talk about reform, do as the leader of the House has been forced to do today to accept that this committee is going to be abandoned, that he is going to start cross party talks behind the scenes. And then we'll see if there is any appetite at all for discussing some of the more contentious issues uh, about how the system currently works, i.e. the lack of a proper appeal system, which everybody else generally has. And it was pretty clear when we heard that the Labour Party and the Scottish National Party were refusing to have anything to do with the new committee that was announced via the amendment that was carried yesterday, the Andrea Leadsom Amendment. It's clear nobody bothered in the government to test the water with the opposition benches either. So not only were they uh, tinnied on their own side, nobody bothered to talk to Labour and the SNP because if they had done, they'd have known they weren't going to touch this new committee with a barge pole. Yeah, and that's again the story thing. This is first of all, this is these sorts of things are, as I say, normally uh, the first thing about the vote on uh, impasse would normally be in house business. These are matters that govern the house, so they normally have to be done by consent. And it does seem at the heart of the government still there's a view that we can just bulldoze some of these things through. And that isn't the way you can do some of the uh, some of the matters. And this in particular, you should have been, I mean, effectively, as my old chum Eric Pickle says, you've got to roll pitch before you play game. And uh, he's absolutely right. You know, I don't understand why there wasn't those sorts of, you know, we're thinking about bringing this amendment forward. How would you react to it? Yeah, type yeah, right. Uh, all of that should happen. That's, that's what they call the usual channels. And yeah. that's why this place does work. And just tell me finally, uh, th- then, uh, so they wake up the government, ministers, prime minister, to appalling front pages, lots of them talking about sleaze. Uh, the airwaves are acrid, thick with criticism from Tory benches, let alone Labour benches. Well, how did they then decide to add to the confusion and say, OK, it's all off? All abandoned. 24 hours later, there's going to be another vote next week in which Owen Patterson will almost certainly be suspended. Do you think the Prime Minister took fright? If you're being charitable, you'll say that actually the government were uh, being sincere yesterday and they did want to have a proper discussion about uh, reform. Um, but if you're, if you're less than charitable, you'll say that actually the harsh reality of, of what happened yesterday was being made very clear to them this morning. And I don't think any colleague, and I'm sure other members of the government would have been saying, you know, this way we will not go. Uh, and therefore, I think it became pretty clear that the world would have to change. I mean, I, I mean I've been pleased this morning, one of my constituents has said, because I made this point very clearly in, a, in something I put out last night, that you have to do this by consensus. And I would have thought that that, would, that now has to be the way forward. And there may or may not be possible to have a discussion. But I think 
clearly the Prime Minister saw the headlines this morning, recognised uh, the, the, real, um, the real damage to reputation of colleagues, the damage to the House of Commons, the damage to the institution of government that was potentially going to be done if we pursued this line any further. And I'm very pleased that he saw the wisdom of changing his mind. Do you think cabinet ministers were in revolt too? I don't know that. I don't know the answer. I'd be wrong to be to speculate. All right, that's Stephen Hammond. He's abstaining. I wonder if he's now wishing he'd voted against uh, the uh, amendment yesterday, which has all now been abandoned. The new committee's been abandoned, and it appears we are going to get a vote after all on whether Owen Patterson should be suspended from the Commons. By the way, if I could just ask you on that, Mr Hammond, should he be suspended? It looks like a fairly straight up and down breach of the rules to me. Well, I've read the report. I think it's a breach of the rules. Whether or not the tariff is the right tariff, but undoubtedly, uh, I think that... Anyone who reads the report comes to the conclusion, notwithstanding he thought he was acting in a different way, that he mm. had breached the rules and therefore there is a punishment to be, uh, to be taken. Absolutely. Stephen Hammond, MP for Wimbledon, Tory. Thanks for joining us. Visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pearce Show feel free and in full, along with our other podcasts and video series. Remember to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. <laughs> The influx of migrants across the Channel shows no sign of abating, despite the tough words from Home Secretary Priti Patel. Yesterday, 456 more arrived from France across the Channel in 15 small crafts. It brings the total number who've made the journey so far this year to 20,200. Way more than double the 8,500 who came into Britain last year. I'm joined now by Richard Tice, who's leader of the Reform Party UK. It's not easy, is it, Mr Tice? Because we know some migrants have died when boats have capsized. But the government talks the talk, talks tough, but nothing happens. Well, it's, it's the same with this government uh, with regard to most issues, actually. They say all the right warm words, but it turns out they're waffle and there's no action, there's no delivery. I mean, how many times has the Home Secretary said that it's going to stop, that she's going to appoint some new uh, commander? Uh, to deal with this issue and that she's going to pay the French some more money and that it's all going to stop and we can trust her and then actually the numbers just grow and grow. And this week we've seen on one day over 800 people coming across. And what's actually happening now is that the boats are being specially designed and specially built bigger and bigger to accommodate more uh, illegal migrants, almost all of whom, probably all of whom, are actually economic migrants seeking to better their life. The truth is, we understand that we're all trying to seek to better our own lives. And, uh, but it's quite clear they're coming to the UK because we are seen as the soft touch. And the moment they get here, uh, there is no prospect of them uh, being deported. And actually, we'll put them up in a nice hotel. We'll pay them uh, some pocket money every week. And, you know, I, I think actually, and I'm, I'm literally hearing it on the doorstep, Andrew, that uh, the British people don't like it. We don't like being ripped off. We're a hospitable, welcoming nation, but we want smart, lawful immigration that helps our economy where we've got skill shortages, but we don't want to be ripped off with illegal immigration that costs us all a bunch of money. And there's been talk, hasn't there, that they that the, the technology is being devised by the border force to be able to turn these boats back. Uh, nothing's happened. We've also been told endlessly that the government is looking at uh, when these people arrive, having their applications processed 
in another country, which is what they do in Australia, for instance. There's been talk it could be Turkey or uh, Morocco, all sorts of places we mentioned. But it never goes any further than talk. Isn't it interesting that uh, the government, when they want to organise something or to change something, I mean, just this week, we've seen in one day uh, the government vote to change the rules with regard to parliamentary standards. They just ripped up a whole rubric and did something in one day. Um, and yet with this, they seem incapable of changing the rules so that uh, you know we can make it illegal for anybody to secure uh, the rights to stay in the UK. Uh, the truth is, it's just a complete lack of political will from this government, a lack of focus on the detail. I'm quite clear, I've looked at the laws, the existing laws of the sea and the UN, they exist with the political will. We can literally, uh, we can uh, we can tow the boats back to France under existing laws. It requires political will, and there isn't that will within the Home Office, there isn't that will within the ministers, nor within the Home Secretary. So this could be sorted. Bluntly, Andrew, if I was in charge, it would be sorted. Uh, there's not the political will, and therefore uh, it's not going to change. It's going to get worse and worse. I would predict, based on the current trajectory, and what I'm hearing about the size of the boats they're building for next spring, I would expect next year will be between 30 and 40,000 compared to this. I mean, this year will end up at about 25,000. Two years ago, it was less than 2,000. Mm. Do you think, um, <clears throat> just finally, this is all about the Prime Minister? Because I can remember when he was London Mayor, he advocated a system of amnesties for illegal immigrants. He didn't really know how many illegal immigrants there were in London, but there are reports potentially there could be half a million in Britain, if not more. Uh, is, this just, is that why, even if the Home Secretary wanted to do something, she's being stymied by a Prime Minister who was Mayor of London, saw how important migrants were to the working of the capital's population and perhaps is not allowing it to happen? I don't think so, no. I think we are led by people who have a complete incompetent inability to focus on the detail and to drive things through and to make things happen. And I'm afraid that we are also burdened by civil servants who sometimes deliberately conspire to, uh, to stop carrying out ministers' uh, wishes and the wishes of the British people. So, uh, no, I don't, think it's, uh, I don't think it's the Prime Minister. I mean, we know that he doesn't focus on the detail. He just waves his hands and gives lovely, funny speeches. But uh, people want action, Andrew. And uh, this is doable. There's absolutely no question about it. But there is just no uh, competent political will to get it done to make it happen. Indeed. That's Richard Tice, who's the leader of the Reform Party UK. Thanks for joining us. Visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and much more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Tory Boy Pierce. Fleur Anderson, who's the Labour MP for Putney, has proposed a bill this week which would prohibit the manufacture and sale of wet wipes if they contain plastic. Fleur Anderson is a mother of four children and she says that 90% of the 11 billion wet wipes which are used in the UK contain some form of plastic which when broken down turn into microplastics. I'm joined now by 
uh, Joao Souza, who's Senior Programme Officer of Marine Plastics at the Global Marine and Polar Programme at the International Union for Conservation of Nature. Uh, Mr Souza, um, an important issue. Um, wet wipes have become part of everyday life in this country, as they have around the world. It's pretty shocking, isn't it, that so many of them do contain some form of plastic? Well, of, of course, this is a discussion that goes beyond wet wipes, but we're not going uh, right there, uh, right now there. It's, it's, it's a question of, of course, convenience, but conven- convenience comes at a cost. Of yeah. course, if we, if we ban wet wipes based on the fact that they might release microplastics, because essentially they're made of plastic, then what else should you ban? Again, it's, it's again the, the, the discussion between convenience versus harmful um, impact. Uh, and then the decision needs to be, be taken. But um, I would suggest that then there's much more to ban than wet wipes, which by themselves, at least they are they have the, the, the size big enough to be captured by um, wastewater seasons and then removed. Um, but of course, then there's the old clogging thing in the season. So in the UK, um, I, I don't know, but well, if we're talking about removing it, and then in this case, it might be worth to remove it all over, not only in the UK. Yeah, and, and the, the point is, Mr. Susan, how do we know if these wet wipes do contain plastic? Is, it, are, is that clearly marked up on the wrapping, on the label? Uh, so if I were to go and look at perhaps whichever wet wipes I use, am I going to be able to see quite clearly that there is plastic or microplastics? Uh, and if, that, if it isn't clearly labelled, perhaps that should be a start, that it should be. Yeah, the, the first point, you're, you're correct. I don't, I don't know the product in the UK. Uh, of of course, the, what else is inside? Not only plastic should should be part of the the package or the packaging in terms of information and labeling should be should be the, the first first thing that we we should realize uh, when we actually look at the product so we are better informed to make decisions. Um, as far as I remember, this discussion on wet wipes came from the fact that people, well, like myself, when I was a dad, and I was not even into this world of plastics. Um, for a question of convenience, you would look at the packaging and you wouldn't read that there's plastic or anything, but you would read that not only is it recyclable, but it's flushable. And to be honest, this doesn't mean anything. So there's a, there's a very big problem with labeling. It's like you, you have like, I don't know, a bag of cookies and it's written on the label, eatable. Those these cookies are eatable, which is plain stupidity. It doesn't mean anything. So just because there's a, a symbol of recycling doesn't mean that you can mm-hmm. recycle them. And then, of course, there should be some sort of labeling uh, that tells you what, what is the product inside, and then you make the decision. This is what they're proposing in Britain. Um, is, it, is, there, is there a move around the world? Um, you're, you're an international organisation, uh, Mr Souza. Is there, is there a move around the world to try to limit or restrict or reduce the amount of dependency we've, we've come to have on wet wipes? Well, not that I'm, uh, not that I'm familiar with. I'm, I'm probably it's just a question of knowledge. I do not know at this point. I know there mm. were some, some people trying to, to work towards not banning, but at least... Um, focus on labeling which yeah. is also for me an issue because because it's labeled it doesn't mean that you're allowed to sell anything just because it's a label and people can decide there's a point um for some governments or some entities or regulators to come and decision themselves and say although we could label this as a let's say a potential impact creator in terms of biodiversity impacts or whatever it is it doesn't mean that if we know that it's not good we just should not allow to be sold the first place 
But then again, then if you go down this, this road, we'll have discussion for tobacco and other products that knowing that they can't cause cancer, they are yeah. still sold. Indeed, indeed. It's a dilemma. But thank you for discussing it with us. That's Joel Souza, Senior Programme Officer of Marine Plastics at Global Marine and Polar Programme at the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. Thanks for joining us. It's time now for our regular city update with Ruth Sunlin, who's business editor at the Daily Mail. So, Ruth, all eyes were on the square mile. The Bank of England has decided against increasing interest rates. Uh, But how long do you think that lasts? I don't think that's going to last very long, actually. You know, there's been quite a lot of surprise um, in the square mile that interest rates weren't raised this time. So Andrew Bailey, the Bank of England governor, has taken quite a lot of flack about that. You'll probably remember his predecessor, Mark Carney, was called an unreliable boyfriend. Well, now Andrew Bailey's been branded with with that tag um, as well. This is because he really did send out some pretty strong signals to the city that there would be a rate rise this time around. And now there hasn't been. So I mean, I don't know about unreliable boyfriend. It's a bit more like the Duke of York. You know, he, he's the grand old Duke of York. He's he's taken everyone up the hill and now he's marching them all um, down again. So probably um, we're looking at um, at, at February for a rate rise now. I think what tends to happen is the Bank of England usually puts up rates at meetings where it's also putting out its monetary policy report, which is a big analysis of the state of, econ- of the economy, so um, gives, gives all the reasoning, as it were, behind that. But you've, you've certainly got people thinking, well, you know, if the bank believes that inflation is heading for even 5%, how come we still do have interest rates at 0.1? Interestingly, Andrew, two members of the nine-member um, Monetary Policy Committee did vote in favour mm. um, of a rate rise. Though two quite influential ones, a chap called Dave Ramsden and another guy called Michael Saunders, they're very heavyweight members of that committee. I would expect that we are still looking at interest rate rises sooner rather than later unless there's a major change in the economy that we haven't at this moment foreseen. And just finally, Ruth, of course, if people are thinking, oh, quick, I'll rush out and I'll get a quick five-year fix on my mortgage, they may be a bit late because quite a lot of the mortgage deals that were around uh, yesterday have been removed. That, that that's right and there's a lot of flat going around about that because the, the banks and building societies have made a bit of a preemptive strike you know on the other hand i guess you could say well um that if you're selling a five-year fixed product and you have got strong signals that interest rates are going to go up in three months time then maybe you know why are we why are we surprised i would say you know there are still some pretty good deals out there if you're going to do this you do need to get your skates on I should add just one thing, Ruth. Of course, we talk about interest rates in terms of the impact on business and impact on mortgage holders. But of course, low interest rates are no good for lots of our listeners, lots of our readers who depend on some interest on their savings. Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct. Now, I've seen a little bit of analysis this morning on this. So savers are getting really some absolutely pathetic rates. I know I am on, on my cash savings. And really, you, you have to have some cash savings because you need a bit of a nest egg just in case something goes wrong. You need that emergency rate, rainy day money that's not linked in with the stock market and, you know, all that, all that kind of thing. So if you... If we increased interest rates to 0.5% from 
um, that would give a saver with around £10,000 in the bank about £15 extra um, in a year. Now, <laughs> you know, that's hardly going to be pushing the boat out, is it? Quite, um, no. It's rubbish. You know, the, these savings rates are really bad and I feel that savers are the innocent and forgotten victims in all of this, not just of the coronavirus crisis that's, that's hit the economy, but really ever since the financial crisis. You know, savers did absolutely nothing wrong, but we've had rock-bottom interest rates since then and really people particularly after inflation, have lost out quite heavily on the cash that they've got in the bank. Indeed they have. That's Ruth Sundin, who's business editor at the Daily Mail. Thanks for joining us. Thousands of women have been left effectively crippled by implanted surgical mesh built to treat post childbirth pelvic damage in women. An eight-year campaign by the Mayor's Good Health to get official recognition of the problem has led to a government inquiry, but women are still struggling to be treated due to a shortage of specialists. I'm joined by Good Health writer Lois Rogers. Lois, it's been a long campaign. What do you hope will happen as a result of the inquiry? Well, we hope that um, they will finally set up these specialist centres to um, to remove it, which is what we've been campaigning for uh, since we began this eight years ago. And so far, we've only got two two centres operating when there's meant to be eight. So there's a, an enormous waiting list of women who um, are uh, hoping to be treated, hoping to have it removed. And, and, and the mesh is causing huge problems for them and lots of pain. Yeah, it's yes. I mean, a lot of people have been left unable to walk. There have elsewhere in the world there have been deaths associated with it, suicides. A lot of a lot of the uh, affected women are suicidal, and um, they they can't work. They can't walk. Walk. They can't live normal lives. It's um, it really is a, an appalling level of damage. Why so long for the government to, to, to A, get on with this inquiry and also not to ensure there are more specialist staff available to help these women? Because it's not their fault, is it? Anything but. No, I think uh, the argument has been that the majority of, of people do not have any problem with with this stuff. But um, it, it's impossible to know how big this large minority is but it could be as many as 40 percent of of all women who have the the um, material put into them run into problems at some stage or another the statistics just are not there but they have have held on doggedly to the argument that the vast majority in their terms don't have a problem with it and and that it is an effective procedure just finally, Lois, are we st- are we lagging behind other countries where this has been identified as a problem? Um, I don't think so. No, I think it has been used more here and in America and in the English-speaking world than it has been elsewhere. And um, because in other countries they tend to use um, surgical um, solutions that use women's natural tissue. So I don't, I don't think we are, no. All right, that's Lois Rogers. She's a writer with good health. Thanks for joining us. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5pm you can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pearce. This is The Andrew Pearce Show. I'll be back tomorrow. Have yourselves a great evening and good night. Good night.